So we are in a series called Bumper Sticker Faith, where we are talking about what does it look like to be people that are deeper than the things that we put on our cars. And um, as I was thinking about this week, there was a uh, movie I remember that came out in 2000 uh, starring Sandra Bullock. And no, it is not what you were thinking. It's not The Blind Side. Uh, I know everybody's like, oh, Sandra, it's The Blind Side. But this movie was Miss Congeniality. Anybody seen it? Um, Miss Congeniality is a story about Sandra, who is an FBI agent, and her character needs to go undercover um, at a Miss America pageant because there's a bomb threat against the competition and the competitors. And she is anything from Miss America. She's, she doesn't look like it at all, doesn't, isn't prim, proper, but they go through the process of making her ready. And in the competition, they get to this one moment that I think is pretty iconic uh, that most of us would know. They'd ask, it's the question round, right? In the question round, they ask this question. What does the world need most? And one by one, each of the ladies come up and answers what? Anybody know? World peace. World peace. Oh, that's easy. World peace. Of course, world peace. And then Sandra gets up there. And remember, she's an FBI agent. And they ask her, what does the world need most? And she says, tougher punishments on parole violators. But the crowd didn't laugh like you. Everybody's silent, wondering what the heck. And so she didn't blow her cover. She was like, and world peace. And then the, and the crowd went nuts. Uh, and we're like, yeah, that's so amazing. And I thought about it. That is so quintessential to what we are talking about this morning. And hear me, church. I really do believe, like, I want especially peace to exist in our world, especially as we are going through a time when we are still in the midst of the conflict in Ukraine. Like, let me not um, just try to skirt past that or not name it, but we do seek for peace uh, in our world, especially when there's conflicts, conflicts that take um, innocent people in, um, in their lives. And so, but at the same time, as Christians who we see this bumper sticker that we're going to talk about uh, this morning, is this idea of if you don't, if you, you'll have no peace, if no, oh, sorry, no Jesus, no peace. But if you know Jesus— you know peace. And this reality that we're talking about this morning is what does that word peace actually mean? Does it really seek um, peace for just a, a time period? Is it a shallow? Or is there something that Jesus is talking about that is much deeper than we uh, dare would put on a bumper sticker? Almost like Mark said yesterday, is in these moments, in these bumper stickers, we question, would Jesus actually put this on his car? Would he be talking about peace or would he be talking about something deeper that we're going to explore today called shalom? And when we're talking about peace, the big idea that we're going to uh, wrestle with today, that we're going to look deeper in, is that peace, or as Jesus likes to call it, and God likes to call it shalom, isn't individualistic. It is very personal, and it is communal. It is not individualistic, but it is to the core of what shalom is, is a depth that is very personal, but also uniquely communal. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14 uh, this morning. Um, If you have it in um, either a copy or digital, it'll be on the screen. Uh, But we'll be starting John 14, verse 25 through 27. It says this. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything that I have said. 
peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. One last time. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we dive deep um, into your text, not superficial, but we, God, we come to you wanting to know you, to be known by you. God, I pray that as we speak about your understanding of what peace looks like, not only since the moment of creation, but until you come again. I pray you would put um, the Holy Spirit in our hearts that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us today. God, I think this is a, a, a word and a moment in time that for many of us, we so desperately need, even if we don't even acknowledge it. And so God, I ask and I pray that you would be um, the revealer, that we would go away um, hearing your word, seeing you, being loved by you, and being changed. We ask this in your name. Amen. There's something that I want to acknowledge right up when Jesus says it, which is really important. And Jesus does everything on purpose. Everything on purpose. No word comes out of his mouth without purpose. And it says this, I peace, I leave with you. I give you my peace, but not as the world gives you peace. And when I think of like, when you talk about world peace and what we're looking for when we seek peace is I think of a peace that is elusive, right? You can't always put your hands on it. It always seems like out of your grasp, that it, it, it's like somebody playing hide and seek that's just really good, that you can never really find it. And even when you do, it's quickly gone. Or peace that is conditional and compromising, right? That you have a list of, if we're going to live in peace together, it's conditional and it's compromising all at the same time. Or peace is one that is earned, And often when we say peace is earned, it means that usually one wins and the other loses. (laughs) I know I see some moms in the room like, yep, kids lose all the time. Uh, Or actually maybe it's I lose all the time. I feel like I'm always losing all the time when it comes to peace. Or, but the thing is, (laughs) that leads to another thing, or it's negotiated, right? That every peace agreement that we have is comes through a negotiation, whether it's earned and then negotiated that you sit down at the table and you negotiate this peace that you come to full agreement on, that both parties agree on, and that you both agree to the list of items that happen. Peace that the world gives is different than the shalom that Jesus offers. Peace in the truest form of it is an absence of conflict, right? It means that peace exists, which means there's no fighting between nations, between rulers and principalities, between homes and families, it's the absence of conflict. And I think that's when we say that we want peace, is really we want a life that is absent of conflict, right? That if we want peace, we want peace to uh, agree to the terms in our lives, which means we don't want trials, we don't want discomfort, we don't tribulation, we want things that are going to make life easier. We want to agree to the terms that we want a life free of trials, free of pain, and free of persecution. 
But shalom isn't this. Shalom is so much deeper. When we talk about peace, and I'll just say this, peace, the way that we translate it in the Greek and in, in the um, Hebrew is the word shalom. So they're used interchangeably, but I think for us, we've beaten up the word peace so much that I think we need to put it aside and really embrace this idea of what God has talked about, shalom. That shalom in the kingdom rests upon the people because shalom in the essence of what it means is it means like a completeness. Like it has a multifaceted definition. It doesn't just mean one thing, but it has um, a state of shalom. Like when in the Old Testament, when the temple and the wall were being built, that when it was finished, it entered into a state of shalom. That all the holes had been filled And it had been completed. It had been built back up, and it entered into a state of shalom. But it also can be used as a verb, right? That Solomon, when he was working on the temple, he was shaloming the temple. He was in the process of completing it, making it whole again. That he, as the actor of shalom upon another thing. But then also then it talks in Proverbs. Again, Solomon is, is uh, messed up in himself, but living out this understanding of shalom and wanting to pass it on to the next generation, that shalom is also in the making of relationships from broken to whole. Right? The same thing you think in, in the wall of your life, in the relationship you have, that you knock holes in each other's lives. In your relationship with one another, you knock out holes. And that to shalom one another means to put back the bricks in the walls that you have knocked out on one another. This shalom is such an incredible and beautiful thing. That shalom, even in the sense of peace, we also take that between two nations. This is where it gets incredibly beautiful. And it's so much different than world peace. That shalom, when two nations come together and find shalom again, not only do they stop fighting, but in the essence of what God created shalom was to be, is not a a state of not fighting, but a state of not fighting that then moves into the place of working for the benefit of each other. The difference between peace and shalom is that peace is just the existence of not fighting, but shalom is this depth that I don't want to just not fight with you. I want to make whole again. I want to work for your benefit. I want to stand shoulder to shoulder who were once at tension and in conflict with one another, and we're going to start to put back the things that were made wrong. This is the idea of shalom. This is what we as a church are desiring for and looking for. This is at the depth of what you want. What I want. What we as a church want. We want to be a place, a sanctuary that is shalom. Not just this superficial place where we just have really good meetings where we don't fight. Like, who wants that? I do. Like, in three weeks, I'm going to name it. I'm going to claim it. Y'all are going to do it. We're not going to fight. But that's not good enough. How many times do you have like family meetings where you have a family meeting or a business meeting or something like that? You're not fighting, but it doesn't feel like shalom. I don't want that. Trust me. That's not who God wants us to be. He wants us to be a people of shalom. And so what does that mean for us? 
What does it mean for us that if we are going to be people of shalom, I think it really matters. The last part is that we move away from an individualistic response to the gospel and move to a deeply personal and communal representation of shalom. That for you and for me, that shalom deeply means something very personal to each and every one of us, but it is not something that we own apart from everyone else. Shalom is something that we share together. And that we all are moving towards shalom together. There's a text that, that Jesus talks a little bit later in John chapter 16. He speaks really quickly within a couple chapters about this idea of shalom, which I think is very important. When Jesus repeats something, it's really important. He sometimes needs to clarify for us. How many of you, like, <laughs> you got told something once, but you need a clarification? Like, all of you students should be raising your hand because that's school all the time, right? How many times? Or if you're a mom, you, that's you. you. Moms speak twice as many words as husbands because they need to repeat it. Um, <laughs> but this is in chapter 16, verse 33, again, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Both times he's been talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in final words of prepping them for his leaving— He says this, I have told you all these things, everything. He's revealed everything to you. Like, can I just say them? I love that Jesus, can we stop treating Jesus as he is the keeper of secrets? That he's not like Nicolas Cage in National Treasure, where you have to jump through a whole bunch of different hoops and booby traps to get to Jesus and the knowledge. He says, I told you everything. I have told you everything. Told you everything. And I've told you these things so that you might, so that in me you might have peace. But then, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. This is where it gets really personal. That Jesus is saying to his disciples, not just some theological idea, but he's getting really personal. And for us, I want it to get really personal today. So let me translate these words for you today in a context that you might need to be able to relate over the last couple of years. Because for most of us, I bet we don't feel like we are in a state of shalom. The state of your circumstances does not determine your experience with shalom. Can I say that again? Because maybe you need to hear this. This is for somebody in the room. I don't know who it is. Your circumstances, the things that are swirling around your life, do not dictate or determine your experience or the value and depth that you know in shalom. Because Jesus is about to leave his best friends high and dry and go back to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father in a very comfy seat. And he's saying, you will have peace. I don't know if you have ever had a best friend that has left you, but you do not feel like in a state of shalom. 
That, oh, this is the moment when Jesus is saying, peace is going to be with you and on you. When? When I leave. Bye. See you later. Because all of us, when we think about peace, that peace will enter the room once all those trials, once all that chaos is gone. That when all those things are gone, or when shalom enters the room in a magnificent spiritual way that moves everything out in an instant. No, Jesus says that you will have peace in me and you will have trouble. But do not fret. Do not fear. I have overcome the world. This was so real. About 12 years ago, I was a chaplain, uh, and there was a lady in her 40s, a mom who was uh, diagnosed with an advanced rare form of cancer. Um, And she was in the hospital. It would require her to come in for a couple of days. Maybe sometimes it would take a week, depending on how her body responded. And so I would visit her as a chaplain weekly. Most time every day, if she was there for longer. And we would have conversations. And every time in the midst of our conversations, we would talk about life and every situation that happened outside of her illness. And every moment that as we talked about what was life with children, what was life like in faith, in the church, the commonalities that we had, that we began to talk and grow in relationship with one another. And I remember walking out of the room every time with the same idea. I am a year removed away from losing my father, and I have no idea how she is in a state of shalom. What is her secret sauce? What is the secret to living? Because I am uh, going to be, I'm called into ministry, I'm in seminary, and I am not in a state of shalom. Shalom is the farthest thing that exists in my life, in my mind. And every time that we got together, her witness would be that she knows shalom because she intimately knows Jesus. Find somebody that intimately knows shalom in their life, that they are a pillar of shalom and peace and wholeness in the middle of chaos, in the middle of problems. And I will tell you a person, they actually, I won't, they will tell you of a person of a Jesus that they know intimately. Because they've held on to the truth that their circumstances do not equate to the depth of shalom that they experience. I have no idea what's going on in your life, how chaotic it is or how peaceful it is. Because here's the thing also, I have met an incredible amount of people that look like they're at peace and have no resemblance of shalom in their lives. You can't believe the lie that your circumstances di- dictate the shalom that you experience. Because Jesus proved it in the cross. That shalom was who he was. That he was the prince of peace or he was the prince of shalom. That he was the representation, the manifestation of shalom in the world. And that at the midst of the garden, when he's about to go to the cross, he proves and shows to us that shalom still exists in the midst of him saying, God, if there is another way, there's another way, give me an out. And he too rings that he will have trouble. He will go to the cross and die a gruesome death, but he still will be shalom. 
Because he knows that his God, that his Father, that he has overcome the world, that even in that moment, in his last words, to my spirit I release a state of shalom that exists in the midst of his chaos and his circumstances. Look at Jesus. Find somebody, get close to them, rub shoulders with somebody who lives in completeness and wholeness in the midst of their chaos. And you will find the secret sauce. That secret sauce's name is Jesus. But that is not just for you to keep. That at the end of her treatment, when we knew that um, the treatment was not progressing, um, and then she went into palliative care, um, she made, she is so back in the day, so kind of boomer mom-ish, um, she made me a CD of all the songs that she listened to that gave her peace. And not only me, but to every nurse and to every doctor. And I wondered, in the midst of probably this crazy pain that was going on, how did you in the world, like, come to the place of making burnt CDs for all the people that had been caring for you? And I remember that she was like, because I don't want you just to be sad. I want you to know the peace, the shalom that I existed while I was going through this. Friends, as a church... We want shalom in your life. We want shalom in fill in the blank, whatever it means. And for a couple things, we want shalom really to bathe and to land and lay and rest on in your home. That if you, if shalom was to exist in the chaos of your home, in the chaos of your life, that you walk around complete and whole, that you don't just fight and avoid each other, but you are actually in a state of working for the good of those that surround you in the closest proximity. That in your home is a state of shalom. It doesn't mean chaos doesn't exist. But when people enter the room, they're like, something is different. Something's different. You fight just like us. You don't agree with each other. But somehow, you deeply love each other and you work for each other's good. You want shalom in your home. I want shalom in your schools, students. Like, I would love for this place where you don't operate in a place of peace where you just don't get picked on, you don't get called on, you can just go from A to Z from September uh, to June and just pass through with ease. What I love in a place is that shalom would exist by your presence showing up in that school and you would create shalom everywhere you walk. Because instead of just seeking to be apathetic and high under the radar, what you do is you work as an agent of shalom where you fill the gap of people's lives who others have knocked out. And even, and you know that too, that even in your own life, you walked into schools and people have knocked bricks out of the wall and made you feel like worthless, make you feel like something is missing or less than. But I pray that you would, Shalom would be in your schools, that as followers of Jesus, that you're not the only one, that you go together and you begin to fill the holes by being the presence of Shalom in your school. I want Shalom to be in our relationships. 
I want shalom to exist in the places that we go and interact with people the most, that we are both the people that can do the most destruction to one another. But peace says, I'll destroy you and leave you to put yourself back together. Oh, not Christians. Not followers of Jesus, not followers of the way, not followers of the love. They come together and say, I've knocked out stuff, and other people have knocked out stuff, and I'm going to help you put those things back together. I'm going to make you, I'm going to shalom you. I'm going to put in a state of working towards your completeness, towards your wholeness, things that I have done that's wrong, but other things that other people have done wrong, to remind you that you are not meant to sit in a place of feeling broken, whole, full of holes, shame, that you are meant to be put back together. I want that for our church. I want shalom here in this place that when people walk in and come, they don't see a group of people that only stick to their own circles of people who have not hurt them. I've been there. But there's people that you used to to walk with, that you used to do life with, and all of a sudden they hurt you, and so now you no longer go over to where they exist, but you find a new group. I want us to be a church and a place where shalom calls us in those relationships to put things back together. But you hear stories of healing. You hear stories of where there has been holes put together and made from generations that we begin to put it back together. That we stand on the reality that shalom has been here since the moment that Jesus said, this church will exist on the plateau and we're going to put things back together And we live into the legacy of that. We live into the legacy of Jesus who put holes back into your life. And we do that with one another. That we don't want peace of just not fighting. But we come together and you say, those stories that I hear about how y'all used to fight, but now you work together for the good and the benefit of one another, that's shalom. I want that. I don't experience that in many places in my life, church included. That will not be us. I've been here for eight months, but I will tell you I will own everything from whatever anybody's done. Starting this day, from whatever church you've been at, if you're here, I will, our staff will, commit to being a place of shalom that puts together back the holes that are in your life for your good. Not for mine. Not for any of our staff. But for the good of this church so that the story will be told that Pine Lake Covenant Church is a church of shalom, which means it doesn't get it right. It will have trouble. It absolutely 100% don't believe that you're going to come in here. There's going to be a church of shalom. There ain't going to be trouble. Absolutely 100% there will be. I see it. I know it. I've heard stories. But from this day, we will be a church of shalom. It will be unique. It will be different. But here's the truth. It's not special sauce. It's always what the church has meant to be. So I don't know about you. I don't want peace. I just want shalom. And I hope you will work with me so that we might experience shalom in our relationships and here at Pine Lake. Today is a new day. 
starts today. Will you pray with me? Father, I am just... I'm just thankful. God, I'm thankful for this word that you did not tell the disciples that they had to work for their own peace. Oh, what a mess that would have been. You told us the better way, and yet we still get it so wrong. But God, my prayer is our prayer here is that you promise the Holy Spirit who will be the activator, will be the encourager, they'll be the one that does the work in and through us. My prayer is the Holy Spirit right now will reveal to us the holes in our lives. And that you would give us the encourage to acknowledge them to one another. That whoever in this room is feeling like the wall of their life has been punched out, decimated. That we would have the courage here to come and say, I'm broken. I'm messed up. I've been hurt by people who no longer exist here. But God, I need... And friends, I need you to shalom me. God, I pray for the courage in this church. For everyone that exists here right now, in person and online, who calls one like home, I pray that we would be the ones who have the courage to ask each other to shalom me. Shalom me. that Lord and Holy Spirit as you are the essence of shaloming that you would equip and encourage your followers to shalom in me Jesus what a beautiful picture to aim at God, give us the courage and the purpose to move in this direction. And that when any lie comes in that says it is too bad, it's too messed up, you maybe remember that you say, do not fret, for I have overcome all those things. And I can overcome this. Church. Holy Spirit, to a holy call we pursue through your power and your might, your tender love. We ask this in your name.